had everything given to him that grew up with a silver spoon. No, you're going to see he is a young man who is constantly saying, thank you, Jesus. Now, he didn't know Jesus at the time, but he knew the name of Yahweh. See, Abraham is his great-grandfather. And Joseph has heard the story about how his grandfather Isaac was lifted up to be sacrificed. I mean, what do you do in the Old Testament when there's nothing to do to go to a movie to? You talk about your past. You talk about the stories. And you pass them on. And so let's, let's pull the lens back a little bit about Joseph. So let's get some facts straight. First of all, let's back the story up a little bit more. Jacob, his dad, runs away from his brother that's trying to kill him. And he goes to Uncle Laban's. Do you remember the story? He goes back to Mesopotamia, back that way, and he's running away from his brother who wants to kill him, and he meets his Uncle Laban. And Uncle Laban has this beautiful woman as a daughter. And what's her name? Rachel. She is a knockout. And he's working, quote, for his uncle, and his uncle says, I ought to pay you something. And Jacob is like, just give me Rachel. Just give me Rachel. And he says, okay, you work seven years for me, and you can have my younger daughter, Rachel. And the text says that the seven years flew by. He is so in love. He cannot wait for his wedding night. It's not like today. He is kept away from Rachel and is admiring her from afar. And the wedding happens. Big celebration it's dark, there's a wedding tent, and a woman slips into the wedding tent, and Jacob wakes up in the morning, and he goes, ah! Why? Because her older sister, Leah, was put in the wedding tent. And Jacob cries, foul, foul! And he goes and he talks to his uncle, and he says, you ripped me off, I worked seven years for Rachel. And what does Uncle Laban say? Well, that's just not our custom to marry off the younger daughter before the older daughter. So I got another deal for you. You finish this week of honeymoon with Leah, or Leah, and then you can have Rachel. So you're going to get two honeymoons, one with Leah, then the next with Rachel. Oh, I'm sure that went over real well. But he agreed to it. Now, Leah starts popping out babies. Baby boy, baby boy, baby boy, baby boy. And Rachel is barren. And it's a disgrace. And she feels so bad. She says, go sleep with my maid. Do you see how this dysfunction was, you know, several generations back? So he sleeps with Rachel's maid and she pops out a boy. And then Leah stops having babies. And so she says, sleep with my maid. And sure enough, she starts having babies. Well, guess what? At the end of 14 years, seven worked for Leah, seven worked for Rachel. At the end, catch this, Joseph is born. He's the 11th boy. Now, this is where, you know, Hollywood departs from Scripture. Do you realize that all 11 boys were born within seven years? All 11 boys were born within a seven-year period. That's pretty amazing. Uh, um, and then it says in, in Genesis where after uh, 14 years of service, Jacob wants to go home with his wives and his maids. And he says, the text says in Genesis 30, you don't have to turn there. That's not our text. But it says, after Rachel gave birth to Joseph, 
Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served and I will be on my way. But Laban says, please stay. Please stay. And he says, okay, but I'm going to start getting a wage. I want some flocks. And then God blesses him in the next six years. And so after 20 years of service, Joseph is six, the oldest boy, or seven, the oldest boy is 14, they go back to the promised land. Now, there's something that happens. Because at age 17, it appears that uh, Joseph has been put in charge of overseeing his brothers. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. He is the favorite of his dad. He is the favorite of his dad, and that causes a whole bunch of jealousy. But the firstborn is groomed to be the patriarch. He is going to be the patriarch. Not him, Reuben. Reuben was the firstborn of Leah. So are you tracking with me? Reuben is a teenage boy, and guess what he does? I mean, it should be X-rated. It's R-rated, but you're in church, so you'll get to hear it. And you can go home and say, man, the... Rob talked about X-rated stuff. Yeah, Reuben went in and slept with his father's maid of Leah. So it says in Chronicles right here, go to Chronicles. If you have your Bibles, turn to Chronicles. And then you'll start to understand this whole thing about why Joseph is going to get a coat of many colors. Go to Chronicles chapter 5. It's worth turning there. I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to see it in God's Word. 1 Chronicles chapter 5, and we're going to pick it up at verse 1 and 2. It says, The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but look what it says. But because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that he could not be enrolled as the oldest son. And though Judah became strong among his brothers, and a chief came from him, yet the birthright belonged to, what does the Bible say? Joseph! So in God's economy, even though he's... Now you have to realize, these are all teenage boys. Joseph is 17. He has some other brothers that are 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. They're all young men full of testosterone, and they're all jealous of who? Joseph. Because Joseph is now in charge. He's being groomed as the patriarch. And when he's given this coat of many colors, it's like a suit and tie. You are the administrator. Your brothers are the blue-collar workers. Now, we've all been blue-collar workers or white-collar workers, and we understand that difference. And so that sets up the scene. And even though he is youngest, he has the responsibility of being the patriarch. Now, he's also the favorite son. Don't get me wrong. He is favored in that. And Joseph has some pretty vivid dreams, and he goes and tells his brothers. I, would, I don't think this was a wise thing to do. But he goes and tells his brothers, hey, guess what? I had a dream from God. One day you're going to bow down in front of me. And they're like, what? I mean, now Jacob sends Joseph out to get a report on his brother. Sounds like an administrator. 
and they're going near Shechem. He has cause for concern for the boys going to Shechem. Shechem was the place that a few years earlier, when all these teenage boys were there, somebody from Shechem, I know, it's, it's an involved story, and I hope you're keeping up, and I hope you're staying, but it really plays into what's going on. Some man in the town of Shechem took their sister by force and slept with her. And all the boys went into Shechem and killed all the men. So Jacob has cause for concern that the boys are now back at Shechem. And he tells them, go check on your brothers. So he gets there and they've moved on. They've moved to Dothan. So he, as a dutiful white-collar worker, goes to Dothan. And the boys, the ten boys, see him coming. And they said, let's murder him. Let's get rid of this guy. So they capture him. And on second thoughts, they sell him into slavery to some Ishmaelites. By the way, those are their cousins. The Ishmaelites are their cousins. They sell Joseph to their cousins. And the brothers now have to figure out how to tell dad. And they don't want to lie to dad. So they take his coat They rip it, they put blood on it, and then they bring it home and say, Daddy, do you recognize this jacket? Do you recognize this coat? And of course, they're going to allow their dad to come to his own conclusion that Joseph was ripped apart by a wolf or something. So they don't technically lie, but they do. So, now I want you to put yourself in the sandals of Joseph for just a moment. You've been sold into slavery by your brothers. Now here's, here's where I want you to really focus in. He's doing everything right. Joseph is doing everything right. He's obeying his father. He's doing his responsibility. He's being groomed as the patriarch, even though he did not want that position. It was thrust upon him. Now, has that ever happened to you? You're doing everything right. You're going to church. You're studying. You turn on Caleb and you're worshiping God as you drive to El Paso. You're giving money away to your neighbors that are in need. You're doing all the right things, and yet something is going amiss in your life. Maybe your finances take a left turn. Maybe you have relational issues at work, or maybe you have some problems with a mom or a dad or a sibling. Maybe you're estranged. Maybe you have a lot of guilt for unforgiveness that happened a long time ago. And everything you're doing, you're doing right, and yet things are going wrong for you. Ever been there? I should raise both hands. Where, yeah, I'm doing everything right. God, I don't understand. Where are you in this? I thought that if I did all these wonderful things and I kept focused on you and I prayed to you and I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do, why isn't my life better? Now here's the very first fill in the blank. When things go south, when things go south, whether it's the marriage, the finances, the health, your business deal, you know, no business deal starts out bad. They only go bad. Are you with me on that? 
and you have problems, maybe, maybe it's your body. Maybe you're, you're, you have some issues going on. Maybe some things are, are happening to your mind. My, my poor mother, she has loved the Lord ever since she was little, and she has Alzheimer's. She can't even remember. Now, every week she gets worse. And you just say, what a horrible disease. God, why, why? why? And yet, when things go south, here's the next fill in the blank. The blank is this. God is still in control. God is still in control. Was it by chance that they changed their mind about killing him? Was it by chance? Say no. Shake your head and say no, it wasn't by chance. Was it by chance that they were next to a trade route when they should have been in Shechem? Shake your head, no, it wasn't by chance. Was it by chance that they sold them, sold Joseph to his cousins, the Ishmaelites, who were probably going to take care of him and sell him to a good person in Egypt? Was it by chance or was it by God's divine sovereignty? See, with God, there are no chances and there are no coincidences. You know, if, if, if you've been around in church, you know this verse, Romans eight twenty eight. You can quote it with me. For God causes all things to work together for what? For good, for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So even though your week might have been in the pits where Joseph literally was, God is still with him. God is still with him. Joseph gets sold to an Egyptian administrator named Potiphar, the captain of the guard, and things are going well, and he proves to be a great help, and Potiphar's promoting him. And it says in Genesis 39, verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And Joseph found favor in the eyes of Potiphar and became his attendant. There's one little word in that little verse out of verse, uh, chapter 39, and it's the word became. Became means there's time involved. See, when Joseph was taken down to Egypt, he didn't know how to speak Egyptian. He had to go and learn how to speak the language. He had to understand the culture. He didn't start out in the house. He probably started out in the field. And sometimes it is through our suffering that God is preparing us for tomorrow. You know, God is always working upstream in your life. He is always preparing you for tomorrow so that you can enter into tomorrow without whining or complaining or understanding all of the picture. You don't have to. You just have to understand Jesus. I don't understand why my daughter is so sick, but you know what? What was it, over a year ago that God just spoke to my heart and said, she's going to be healed. And I've been standing on that promise. And do you know she is better today? Was it instantaneous? No, but my faith in God is about Him and not the process. Are you with me on that? It's in Him. And so He became Potiphar's right-hand man. But there's time involved. And that's where our faith gets to grow. He gets... Well, things are looking up, and, and, and that's the next fill-in-the-blank. Things are looking up. And here's the next blank that's just totally blank, and that is the Lord was with Joseph. 
the Lord was with Joseph. I've shared this, but I need to share it again. Every time in your Old Testament, when you see the word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's God's personal name, Yahweh. Do you know in chapter 39, Yahweh appears eight times? I think this chapter in the Bible is the one chapter where Yahweh's name shows up the most in the entire Bible. God's personal name, and I think it conveys the personal intimacy and the concern that God has for Joseph. And I think Joseph must have been vocal about Yahweh because it says in the text that Potiphar realized that God was with him. Things are looking up for Joseph. But you know what happens next, right? First, I mean, the third fill in the blank is things are going to go south again. I told you, life's like a roller coaster. One day your health is good, one day it's bad. One day it's good, one day your finances are great. Another day, all your finances are wiped out. Potiphar's wife has the hots for Joseph. She's a cougar. (laughs) She would have been on New Jersey Housewives or, I don't know, one of those silly shows, right? She's persistent. The text says day after day, engineering opportunities to entice him and to break him. And she catches Joseph once inside the house. She's dismissed everybody else. Come, lie with me. And Joseph says, no way. Not because she's ugly. It says because it's an affront to Yahweh. It's an affront to your master. And how in the world can I even think about doing something like this? He's given me, God has given me in charge of everything in this house. And no way am I going to. And what does she do? She grabs his robe, his shirt. And what does he do? Pooh! It's the second time a robe's going to get him in trouble. You know, that's, that line has been said for 2,000 years. I just had to get to say it too. Second time a robe got him in trouble, right? Okay. Um, I hope you're with me on that. Second time a robe got him in trouble. Okay. So he flees, robes in his hands, and Joseph is accused of rape or attempted rape, and thrown into prison. It's interesting. It says that Potiphar really got mad, but it doesn't say exactly who he got mad at. It is my personal opinion, just my personal opinion, that he got mad at his wife. I think he, he knew who he was married to. And he knew that God was with Joseph, and Joseph, that was out of character for Joseph. And so he's disappointed that his best employee or best slave is now thrown in jail. Joseph stayed pure. Now, his unfair circumstances were not used as an excuse for sinful behavior. Maybe Joseph was like this, Lord, get this woman away from me. Get this woman away from me. Day after day, she just comes out and she tries to throw herself at me. Please take her away. God says, I'm going to answer your prayer. How does he do it? By throwing him in prison. Joseph probably said, that's not the way I wanted you to answer my prayer. 
God's going to answer our prayers according to His purpose and not necessarily the way we want it. Am I right? If you're taking notes, put an asterisk by these, the two lines you've already written. God is still in control and the Lord was with Joseph. God is still in control and the Lord was with Joseph. Even if we suffer, God is still with us. Now, while in prison, Joseph gets a reputation for correctly interpreting dreams. I, know, I want you to notice he never plays the victim. He never plays the victim card. God has a divine appointment set up. Joseph's going to be introduced and establish a relationship with Pharaoh's cupbearer. Thirteen years have gone by. He's now 30 since he was sold into slavery. You know the story. Pharaoh has some troubling dreams. He dreams about some fat cows and skinny cows and fat ears of corn and skinny ears of corn. And all of his wise men, all of his magicians are brought in. And he says, I know that this dream is from God. You guys tell me the interpretation. And nobody can tell it. And then the cupbearer says, oh, I remember there's a guy in prison that can do it. And they summon Joseph. They get him. They clean him up. They shave him. I'm sure they, they, they washed him, got a new set of duds, and he's ushered into Pharaoh's presence. It's Joseph's big chance to right the wrongs, right? Pharaoh says, I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And you know what the very first words out of Joseph are? No, I can't. What? This is your big chance, Joseph. Why are you saying you can't interpret the dream? And then he follows up and he says, but God, but God can. And so here's the next fill in the blank. Joseph is looking up. This man is exceptional. He's not been living in his own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. He's been keeping his eyes on Yahweh. He answers the Pharaoh, I cannot do it. Big chance, but he gives the Lord the credit. And Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream and counsels Pharaoh. Seven years of abundance are coming. Seven years of famine are coming. You better take heed because this is going to happen quickly. You better put somebody in charge and gather up all the surplus over the next seven years. And Pharaoh says, you're the guy. You're the guy. In fact, you're going to be in charge of all of Egypt only under me. Will anybody be higher? You know, you're the top dog besides me. Second in command, he gets a signet ring, he gets a robe, a gold chain, a king's chariot. He even gave him an Egyptian name and an Egyptian wife of good repute. Seven years of plenty came, seven years of famine came. And Joseph becomes Egypt's savior. Savior of the known world at that time, providing bread to a starving world. But God had a very special purpose for Joseph. Someone once said this, life can only be understood backwards. Right? When you, when you can kind of look backwards. But it can only be lived forwards. Joseph wanted out of prison. God wanted a humble, faithful man to save a nation. 
Nine years have passed since the interpretation of the dream. The famine is in its second year. Jacob's family is still living in Canaan, still dysfunctional, not getting along, but they're getting hungry. And they hear that Egypt has food. So the ten brothers who sold Joseph now come before him, bowing down before him. And they do not recognize him because 22 years have passed. 22 years. Time has not healed their guilt or sin. Have your Bibles turned to Genesis 42. Genesis 42. We're going to pick it up at verse 21. 22 years later, and they still have a guilty conscience. Joseph is almost 40 years old. Genesis 42, verse 21 says this, Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben, who was the firstborn originally, who had oldest, had the most sense, answered, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. Now, Joseph has forgiven them a long time ago. I want you to realize that forgiveness has no time limit. Forgiveness has no time limit. You can't say, I'll forgive you in 30 years. <laughs> Deal with it now. And if it's something that's terrible, go to the Lord to have the strength to forgive. And forgiveness means you come to the table. That doesn't mean the relationships are stored. The person has to repent in order for the relationship to be restored. But as, as far as it is up to you, you need to be forgiving. The relationship might be broken forever. There are strange families all over this country, aren't there? You might have some estranged people in your life. You're willing to forgive, but the person that did the wrong isn't willing to repent. In fact, they do it again. So you, how can you restore a relationship? You can't. That's why when God says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God wants to forgive everybody, but it is repentance that unlocks that forgiveness. Are you with me on that? So there are a lot of people out in the world that think they can live any way they want to, and God has to forgive them because they've misunderstood John 3.16. no. This is a relationship that requires a repentant heart. And Joseph isn't being revengeful or vindictive. He's setting up a scenario. He's going to make them bring back their little brother and see if they do the same thing to him that they did to him 22 years ago. So he sets it up that jo Benjamin is in trouble, he's in prison, and all the ten boys come back. And what happens? Judah comes and says this, Take me. Let Benjamin go. Even though they know he thinks he's guilty of doing something. And take me. And it says, and this is why I know that it, he does not have a vengeful heart. It says that Joseph starts crying because he understands their heart has been repentant. 
And now he can have a relationship with them again. And he reveals who he is. He says, I'm Joseph. I'm Joseph. Look at, uh, turn in your Bible to, to Genesis 45. Verse, we'll pick it up at verse 1. Joseph could not control himself before all those that stood before him. And he cried, make everyone go out from me. And no one stayed with him when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. You know, when you're plotting revenge and you get your revenge, you smile, you don't cry. He's brokenhearted and he's crying because he now has the ability to have a relationship with him. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. And so Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me. And they came near. And he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or even angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land two years, and there are five years to go. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Here's the last fill in the blank. Joseph is looking at the big upper story, the big picture. God was working, building, and saving a nation for his own. And God used Joseph to save the new nation by bringing it to Egypt. And there's some good reasons. Did you know that they were already starting to intermarry with the Canaanites? And when God pulled them out of Canaan and put them in Egypt, they were so despised, racist. The Egyptians were so racist, they said, We will never, ever intermarry with you. Because you're inferior. And God used that culture to grow a nation up that never intermarried like they were already doing in Canaan. See, God had it all worked out. So God brought them to Egypt where the nation would stay pure within its own culture. And over the next 400 years, it's going to grow to be over 1 to 2 million people. Now, Joseph's story is powerful, and we could have used weeks, and I knew I went super, super fast, and I apologize for that, but I want you to get these big kernels of truth out of this. God is in control. Can you say that with me? God is in control, and He is with us. Say that with me, and He is with us. God is in control, and He is with us. He is at work in the details of your life to bring about not only a salvation, but a maturing process. He's, he's going to bring forth a Savior from this nation, but right now He's bringing Christ forward in you. Do you realize that? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives what? Within me. God is using your everyday struggles 
The times when you come home snarky and your spouse says, you're snarky, get out of it. Well, that's a blessing from the Lord. Or, no, let's do this or do that. Correct your thinking. Be in the Word. And suddenly, Christ is being formed in you. God is involved in every little detail of your life. Have you ever made a bad decision? Have you ever had to suffer the consequences of those bad decisions? Can God cause good to come out of it? You know, I'm in my 50s, and I'm just now starting to believe that. Isn't that a shame? Oh, we're taught this as children. We're taught that your faith's going to grow. We're taught that you're going to become like Jesus. You're going you're to be able to radiate out His love. And then we stop growing because there's a little bit of doubt. There's a little bit of, hey, this isn't fair. Have you ever said that? This isn't fair. Might as well put your hands on your hip, right? And put a little pout. This isn't fair. And God says, I know it's not fair, but I'm going to cause good to come out of it. What? Yeah, I'm going to cause good to come out of your mistreatment. What? I'm going to cause wonderful things to happen because if you trust in me, it's going to be okay. And suddenly we are filled with a peace. Joseph had peace in the dungeon. Joseph had peace in the pit And Joseph had peace when he was the high command of the Pharaoh. No matter what his circumstances were, he had peace that surpassed understanding. God is at work in the details of our life. And what we see on the surface is not the whole story. And what you see on the surface of your life is not the whole story. God is with you and he is with you through thick or thin. God causes all things to work together. And the last nugget was this. When you do everything right, but everything is going wrong, it's going to be okay. Sometimes we need somebody to come alongside us, don't we? And when they whisper, you know what? It's going to be okay. That's the voice of the Lord being sent through, through a friend or a counselor or whoever. And God is going to tell you, it's going to be okay. You're in the dungeon now, but it's going to be okay. You're in a hospital bed now, it's going to be okay. Your finances are so bad you don't have money to eat this week, it's going to be okay. If he allowed his son to suffer, he allows his adopted children to suffer. And it's going to be okay. Let me pray. Father, sometimes that's all we need to hear. We don't need to know the whys. We don't need to know the theology. We don't know anything but to hear those words, it's going to be okay. Even death cannot stop your power. And it's going to be okay. Whether our world explodes tomorrow, whether the North Koreans throw a nuclear bomb on Japan, whether our economy 
destroys itself, whether we turn inward and become so corrupt that we begin to beat our neighbors, somehow it's going to be okay. And we cling to that promise. Forgive us when it takes us so long to have our faith grow to that point of trust where the peace can finally come. Give us your peace, Lord, because it's going to be okay. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.